My name is Tina Paganini, and I never knew I had a talent for detection until I saw the corpse. I mean, everyone was standing over the corpse, speculating. The Ipsy Hatatic looks like a stalk. Strange convulsions. I knew at once it was poison, strychnine. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before you meet the corpse, you had better get to know everyone involved in this story and how we all came to be standing there. As I said, I'm Tina Paganini, and by any objective standard, I am gorgeous. Dangerously gorgeous. I mean, when I'm crossing the road at the traffic lights, I have to be careful not to meet the driver's eye. Otherwise... And I must never smile at a man on a stairway, because if I do... Are you okay? And when a guy comes up to me in the vegetable department of the supermarket and he goes, Hi, uh, is this a turnip or a sweet potato? Believe me, the guy is not interested in vegetables. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. There is only one male person of my acquaintance who never loses his balance. Professor Benjamin Huxley. He runs the science lab in central London where I work. We're at the cutting edge of new discoveries in biomedical engineering. Well, not me, exactly. I'm one of the secretaries, on account of not having a degree. So I answer the phones and log the data onto the computers, and I wait for Professor Huxley to notice me. But he never does, because he is utterly absorbed in the post-translational modification of protein. And who can blame him? Until one day last month, I was logging data. I looked up, and there he was, Professor Huxley crossing the lab toward my workstation with the obvious intention of talking to me. He was perfectly balanced. Uh, Miss Paganini. Professor Huxley. They tell me that you're a driver. A driver? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I have a license and a car. I've never owned a car. Haven't you? Or a driver's license. Uh-huh. Professor Huxley, do you need to go somewhere by car? Porlock Weir, Somerset. Next weekend, the Shelminski Prize Conference. I'm on the shortlist. Oh, congratulations. But please, uh, don't mention it to anyone. It's all very hush-hush. Understood. So, would you like me to drive you there? Uh, only if you're available, Miss Paganini. I'm available. Ah, they can provide you with a room and you're welcome to attend the conference, uh, although you may find it boring. I won't find it boring. Fine. Uh, thank you. I... I I need to check on my amino acids. In case you haven't heard, the Shelminski Prize is worth 25 million pounds. Founded in honor of the reclusive billionaire Sandor Shelminski by his widow Evelyn Carlton Shelminski. I am offering this prize to the candidate who can best demonstrate that he or she is working on a project to change the world for the better. And now Professor Huxley is one of five shortlisted candidates. And it's Friday afternoon, 
and I'm driving him to Porlock Weir. You okay, Professor Huxley? Fine. What made you choose such an unusual car? It's British, hand-built. It belonged to my husband, Mr. Paganini. Your husband? I'm a widow. Ah, I, I'm sorry. Oh, Mr. Paganini was much older than I. My parents didn't believe girls needed an education. So when I was 17, they married me off to Mr. Paganini. He was in olive oil. Ah. We were married for 10 years. Then one night, we were in Rome. I came out of the bathroom in the hotel. I bought some new silk underwear in the Via dei Condotti. I didn't realize Mr. Paganini was watching me. Watching you? From across the room. He dropped dead of excitement. Is that physiologically possible? Well, the doctor said it was highly probable. Thing is, my parents wanted me to live with them in Florida, but I said, no, I'm going to London, where everyone speaks English so beautifully. I'm going to make up for lost time. Lost time? I'm going to get me an education. Ah, ah. Admirable. Hold on to your hat. I'm going to overtake this white van. Uh, no, 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 really. There's no need. You're, uh... Your driving style indicates that you are an extroverted risk-taker. Thank you. Professor Huxley, I know the Shelminski shortlist is highly confidential, but have they given you any idea? What, uh, the other candidates? I'm dying to know. Oh, uh, they, they sent me a list by special courier. Um, uh, um, Samuel Gondo. Oh, he's wonderful. Y you know him? I've read about him. African environmentalist. That's right. Who else is on the list? Um, someone called, uh, Kasha... Kasha McLennan? Oh, my gosh, I totally worship her. You do? She's done so much to help women throughout the world. Has she? Right. Um, Otto Hans Magnus Hauptmann. Oh, Otto. Conceptual artist. 2,000 people jumping up and down on the Brooklyn Bridge. Whatever for? Free publicity for Otto. Can't think why he needs 25 million. Uh, Vikram Alexander. Greed is good. Uh, sorry? His bestseller, in support of capitalism, red and tooth and claw. I've seen him on YouTube. Very persuasive. Is he? But a real lightweight compared to you, Professor Huxley. You're very well informed. Hi. Try to keep up. Mrs. Paganini, I need this 25 million. And you deserve it. No. No, I really need it. Fact is, the grant we applied for last month... We didn't get it. Oh. So this 25 million, it's life or death. For the lab, I mean. Porlock Weir, if you've never been there, is the sweetest little village in the west of England, near the rolling plains of Exmoor, which is a real English moor, located overlooking a tiny harbor that leads into the Bristol Channel. The Shelminski Conference was booked into a hotel right on the waterfront. We were greeted at reception by Evelyn Carlton Shelminski herself, a sort of Edwardian hippie in a caftan, long gray hair, lots of beads, but with eyes like an eagle. Professor Huxley, welcome. Oh, very stylish of you to turn up in something from the Great Gatsby. Oh, yes, the, the car belongs to Mrs. Paganini. Mrs. Paganini? Ah, yes, we've reserved a room for her. Your secretary? Well... Secretary and chauffeur. Secretary and chauffeur. <laughs> How delightful. You're most welcome, my dear. Thrilled to be here. And we are thrilled that you are thrilled. Oh. Two duffel bags came flying through the door of the hotel, missing Evelyn Shelminski's leather sandals by inches, followed by their owner. I have travelled on every continent by mule, horse, 
camel, bicycle, snowmobile. But I will never reconcile myself to the lateness, the sluggishness, the sordidness of your average British train. Catherine McLennan, I'm Evelyn Shelminski. This is Professor Huxley, Mrs. Paganini. Hello, hello, hello. Where do I sleep? The first thing I noticed about Cassia McLennan, her volcanic anger. I mean, you can hardly blame her. She puts herself at the cutting edge of war and famine. She sees people doing terrible things to innocent women. It might make anyone a tiny bit volatile. We're all here, except for Samuel Gondo, the save the planet man. He's arriving on foot, no doubt. Max will help you with your baggage. A tall, beefy young man appeared, wearing several wool sweaters and ancient corduroy trousers. He scooped up all our bags like a Sherper on Mount Everest. This way, please. Dinner at 7.30. Conference begins at 9. Okay, so we settled into our rooms, and looking back, up to that point, it had all been fairly normal. I mean, I now knew that Ben was understandably desperate to save the lab, and I was feeling a bit desperate myself, because the lab is my whole life. And Evelyn Shelminski, okay, a bit eccentric. And Kasia McLennan, the great feminist campaigner, a trifle hyper. But when I headed down to dinner, I heard something that was positively disturbing. Five candidates, 25 million, one ruthless genius among them. Otto, the conceptual artist, on his mobile to a friend. I crept past his door and headed for the main staircase. Just then... A door across the landing opened. A sleek man in a very expensive suit emerged. Good evening, my dear. I was so nervous, because of Otto, that I forgot all about my pulchritudinaciousness. Oh, that's Latin, meaning gorgeousness. So I smiled at him, and he tripped. Oh. Are you okay? Right as rain. I am Vikram. Vikram Alexander. Mrs. Tina Paganini. Paganini? Is he at the conference? He's dead. I'm with Professor Huxley. I'm his assistant. Lucky Professor Huxley. What Mr. Paganini used to call a real smoothie. May I escort you into dinner? See what I mean? The hotel had been reserved exclusively for the conference. Max, the porter, served the food. Of course, this wasn't a normal dinner party, not with all the guests competing for a cool 25 million. There were seven of us. Mrs. Shelminski at the head of the table. She ate like a bird and spent most of her time watching us. Ben, across from me, he kept trying to converse with Kasia McLennan to his right, but her focus was on her cheese and crackers. Next to her, Vikram Alexander oozing urbanity. He kept making eyes at me when he thought no one was looking. Across from Vikram, Samuel Gondo, the African environmentalist. Black horn-rimmed glasses, a gorgeous multicolored shirt, linen trousers, beaming smile. Finally, there was Otto, the conceptual artist. Black leather, incredible hair, sort of a blonde fright wig, but every hair in place. I was scrutinizing him for homicidal tendencies, but he sat back from the table, his gaze on the ceiling. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My late husband, Shandor Shelminski, was a remarkable man. 
remarkable for his talent at exploiting others, for finessing each sordid little money-grubbing deal to his maximum advantage, for hoarding his millions while the world starved. This is not what anyone round the table was expecting. So, you can appreciate how Shandor Shelminsky Prize for a world-changing project is the ironic commemoration of a man who had but one obsessive project, self-enrichment. Yeah, I like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the prize, as you know, is a cheque for 25 million pounds. Mm -hmm. The judge is myself. I intend to listen very carefully to everything you say. On Sunday evening at 6.15pm, I shall announce the winner. Is that clear? Mm. Everyone nodded. Vikram Alexander raised his hand. Mrs. Shelminsky, may I say on behalf of my fellow candidates, what an honour it is. No, you may not, Mr. Alexander. I cannot abide speeches. I abhor long-windedness. Now then, who would like to go first? Your big idea in fewer than five words. Five words. Vikram Alexander looked peeved. Kasha McLennan, furious. Then Ben stood up. Professor Huxley. Excellent. Begin. Um... Harness the genome. I have no idea what that means. Well, I would be happy to explain. Five we words. Next. Ben sat down, pale with anger. Kasha McLennan. Kasha didn't bother to rise. She shrugged. Empower women. Ah, now that I understand. <laughs> it was Vikram Alexander who laughed. Vikram Alexander. <clears throat> <clears throat> Enlist the energy of the young. Uh-oh. Six words. Oh, for heaven's sake. Um, enlist the energy of youth. Do you think that's wise, Mr. Alexander? Oh, yes, indeed it is, Mrs. Shelminsky, provided that we can accurately identify... Now, 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 rules of the game. Five words. <laughs> Please sit. Oh. Vikram turned from beaming man of the world to enraged neurotic. Samuel Gondo. <clears throat> Samuel stood. He gazed round at each of us in dignified silence. Then he said, Enough is enough. Enough is enough. That may be profound. Mm -hmm. Samuel beamed and sat. Or perhaps not. Mm. Otto Hans Magnus Hauptmann. Call me Otto. Is that your big idea? <laughs> Only disconnect. Otto bowed ironically. Only disconnect. I think I understand. <sighs> Then he headed for the door. Otto, where are you going? I am disconnected. Very good. Let us all disconnect. We shall reconvene in the lounge in ten minutes. Thank you. Ben and I spent the intermission strolling down to the harbour. It's no use. Evelyn Shelminsky is completely daft. Daft? Nuts. And manipulative. Five words or less, reducing everything to a parlor game. I wonder whether the 25 million even exists. Oh, I'm sure it does. Then we're wasting our time. Maybe we should leave tonight. No. Professor Huxley, I've met people like her. Their money makes them capricious, but deep down, they want to do good. Think so? Well, we have nothing to lose by staying. And if we win, we save the lab. The next part of the conference was even more intense. We entered the lounge where Max the waiter was tinkling on a grand piano. Mrs. Shalminsky motioned for us to sit on four sofas placed in a square formation in the middle of the room. Now, everyone ready? 
Otto? I prefer to stand. I prefer you to sit. Otto sat. Well, he wouldn't. Max? 25 million. Leave us, please. Now then, Professor Huxley, harness the genome. What do you mean? In five words or less? Not necessarily. When I was a graduate student, I thought the most interesting problem I could tackle was the pursuit of a grand unified theory of the universe. Hmm. Then, at the turn of the century, the entire genome was sequenced, and I realised that the identification of human variability was even more important. This explanation, lucid enough in scientific circles, was not doing the trick here. I tried to catch his eye, but as so often with Ben, he wasn't looking my way. Professor Huxley, I consulted many experts about the applications for this prize. Your work was earmarked as outstanding, but I'm afraid I find your explanation... Impenetrable? Thank you, Miss McClellan. That's the word. Impenetrable. Mrs. Shalminski, hmm. have you ever needed a medical procedure like laser surgery, where the laser can control the amount of damage to the surrounding tissue? My gallbladder operation. Your gallbladder. Excellent. Well... The work Ben is doing means that surgery can be even more effective. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the revolution in genetic profiling, your doctor can match drugs and... Uh, Professor Huxley can tell you. Uh, yes, match drugs and other therapeutic interventions to your individual genetic makeup and physiology. Now, I can't promise you a cure for cancer, but the treatment of that cancer is bound to be more precise and effective. Not only cancer... Malaria, avian flu, our lab computer has Derizi's Virochip, a DNA microarray that tests for the presence of all known viruses in just one step. Ben looked at me. He smiled. Thank you, Professor Huxley and Mrs. Paganini. That's when Kasia McLennan spoke up. Professor Huxley's work may be cutting edge and useful, but it's not essential. Mm -hmm. Not the way my work is. Uh, empower women? Money can empower women. A mosquito net costs $5. A safe haven in East Congo, where women who've been abused in war can find hope for the future, costs one million. 25 million pounds can make a substantive difference to exploited women across the globe. Vikram Alexander was smiling, but his eyes were deadly serious. Why only women? Surely that's obvious. Is it? Now, my plan will be to enlist the energy of the young, of both sexes. Rolling scholarships, an institute based in London, educating future leaders and entrepreneurs. Uh, why only the young? Did you say something, Mr. Gonda? Uh, people of all ages need our help with the greatest respect. You may have noticed the recent volatility throughout Africa and the Middle East. Territories explode. Uh, so what? So what? My dear Mrs. Shelminski, did you hear that? World peace and security rests with these inspiring young men and women who have taken to the streets. But who represses those inspiring young people? The dictators. And who supports the dictators? Western politicians who are funded and promoted by you, Mr. Alexander, in your Bijou Park Avenue think tank. That is so typical of you, Kasia McLennan. Take a complex geopolitical dilemma and reduce it to schoolyard name-calling. Oh, dear, I'm bored. We're not here to entertain you, Mrs. Shelminski. Even so, Otto... Uh, Otto, where are you going? Otto had risen from the sofa. He crossed the room, stretched out on the carpet... <sighs> and closed his eyes. 
I've changed my mind. Order no longer wishes to apply for your money. This had a galvanizing effect on Mrs. Shelminsky. Oh, to really? I, I do so admire your work. Tell us about only disconnect. Tomorrow. Otto needs to sleep. Otto rolled over on his side like a huge child. Oh, very well. We shall reconvene at breakfast, 8 a.m. I wish you all sweet dreams, sweet dreams, one and all. Few of us enjoyed sweet dreams. I was too excited to go straight to sleep. Fortunately, I had an Agatha Christie murder mystery that I was certain I'd never read. Mrs. Paganini. Professor Huxley? I, I just wanted to say thank you for helping me out with my pitch. Oh, it was nothing. Yes, I had no idea you were so well-versed in the genomic foundations of human illness. Oh, that. I think I may have a photographic memory, even though Knightley and Nussbaum in their 2006 study, Human Perceptual Conundrums, page 127, six lines down, say that there is no such thing. Quite. Well, sleep well, Tina. Oh. What? You called me Tina. It's fine. I mean, it's my name. Good night. Night, night. Dan. I was still wide awake at midnight. I finished the murder mystery and crept down the stairs to the lounge to see if I could find something new to read. There was a pool of light underneath the kitchen door. Hello? Samuel Gondo at the counter, filling a thermos flask. Hello, gracious lady. Tina. <laughs> Tina. Has anyone told you you are an outstandingly lovely lady? Yes, they have. You okay, Mr. Gondo? Thirsty, uh, 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 dehydrated. <laughs> Those nasty airplanes. Hmm? Uh, do you need a drink? Me? No. Oh, well, good night. There was something odd about this, but I was too tired to figure out what. I emerged into the corridor and collided with something tall and solid. Oh. Max, leaning on a broom. Bit like to be creeping around. I'm not creeping. Insomnia. What's keeping you up, then? Oh, you first. A dog spotty's work is never done. Clearly. But you, Mrs. Thomasin... A Paganini. Ah, you should be snuggling up with your absent-minded professor. Professor Huxley and I are work colleagues. Not that it's any business of yours. Uh. Better get some sleep now. Were you listening at the door just now, Max? Big day tomorrow. I crossed over to the lounge, found a copy of Great Expectations, and settled down on a sofa. I wasn't far into Pip's first meeting with Magwitch when I became aware of urgent whispers outside the door. Stop following me. Following you. I was trying to sleep. I switched off the light a second before the door opened. Vikram Alexander and Kasia McLennan came crashing into the room. That is no reason to come into my room. You used to love it when I came into your room. Kasia, that was a long time now ago. Now you're making eyes at that empty-headed Barbie doll of a secretary. I think she meant me. I was wounded, but frankly, I'm used to it. What do you want, Kasia? You have betrayed me. Huh. You and the Shelminsky Prize. You dare to enter it. You, with all your billions. Listen, I've given your foundation tons of money. Exactly. You're loaded, Vikram. What are you doing here? The world has moved on since we last met. 
25 million will come in very handy for our work in the new democracies. Vikram, the women of the Middle East, the Congo, Afghanistan. You're only doing this to spite me. Evelyn Shelminsky will never give either of us the prize. She's mesmerised by that buffoon Otto. Rubbish. The real competition is Samuel Gondo when he gets going tomorrow about saving the planet. Gondo knows better than to outshine me. What are you up to, Vikram? The first rule of competition, my dear Kasha... I'm not your dear anything. Get the dirt on your rivals. So you refuse to withdraw? Withdraw? Don't be absurd. Sleep well, Vikram. Kasha left. Vikram stood in the doorway, hyperventilating. A telltale sign that Kasha's attack had affected him more than he let on. I heard him go upstairs, waited five minutes, then followed. There was a pool of light under Otto's door. It's in the bag. They get out of my way or they die. When I woke, it was nearly eight o'clock. I spotted Ben from my window. He was down by the harbor. Professor Huxley. Ben. Good morning. Morning. I'm feeling much better about this whole thing. Excellent. Listen. Kasia McLennan and Vikram Alexander used to be an item. Lovers. Ah. Uh, how do you know? Insomnia. I was in the lounge. They didn't see me. She wanted him to withdraw, but Vikram refused. Then I heard him say... Samuel Gondo knows better than to outshine me. And what does that mean? Blackmail. Blackmail? Better and better. The three of them implode and the lab gets the money. Well, not if Otto gets his way. But was he in the lounge too? Every time I pass his door, he's on his mobile. Five candidates, one genius. They're all gonna die. I wonder if Otto's ever had a head injury. And there's Max. Um, who's Max? Waiter at the hotel. He was pretending to sweep the corridor outside the kitchen at midnight. You've had quite a night. Ben, I think you should be careful. You know what we both need? What? A large infusion of caffeine. We helped ourselves to food from the sideboard. The conversation was not exactly scintillating, given these were five of the liveliest minds on the planet. Pass the salt, please. It's in front of you. Ah, so it is. Uh, orange juice, uh, Professor Hux? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, Mr. Otto, go away. Uh, recommended vitamin C. Sit down, Samuel. Finish your breakfast. At 9 a.m. on the dock, uh, Evelyn Shalminsky, in a different colored caftan from the day before, same eagle eyes, swept into the room. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Now, we have a full day ahead. Mr. Gondo, enough is enough. Please tell us more. Enough is enough is a challenge to the first world, which is drowning in immaterial goods. Oh. The natural resources required to manufacture all of this stuff are finite. The energy used is destroying the planet. The human labor exploited in factories and sweatshops across the globe deserve a better chance in life. So, let's stop manufacturing fripperies. Let's stop consuming. Let's stop exploiting on a macro level. Samuel, please, this is so naive. <laughs> National governments must reconfigure their economic policies. Growth is good, they tell us. As if endless unchecked expansion should be our only criteria. Oh, Mr. Gondo, what if no one listens? If no one listens, 
then our planet is doomed. Good. The planet is doomed. Better than being discovered in Berlin on a sultry August night in a nightclub when your wife thinks you're in Nairobi and your colleagues are expecting you in Washington. Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's saying. He wasn't even there. I wasn't there, but I have my informants. Mr. Alexander, please. Nairobi, Berlin. We are listening to Mr. Gondo. But Samuel Gondo had moved away from the table. He wandered over to the sideboard and masked his confusion by spooning fruit salad into his coffee cup. Mr. Gondo? I have had my say. Very well. Oh, excellent, in fact. Now, Otto, mm-hmm. only disconnect, mm-hmm. Otto. <clears throat> I am disconnected. <laughs> now, it's time to change the record, Otto. Tell us what you mean, or withdraw from the contest. The person from Porlock. Never heard of him? Everyone looked blank. I knew about him because of my love of English poetry, but I said nothing. In 1797, not very far from here, the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge took opium. Then he had a dream about a Tartar king named Kubla Khan. As soon as he awoke, he began composing a poem describing this dream. But he was interrupted on some business by a person from Porlock. And when he returned to his room, he found that all he could remember were fragments of his original vision. Ladies and gentlemen, rest my case. Uh, you rest your case? What case? Had Samuel Taylor Coleridge disconnected, had he ignored the person from Porlock, he would have realized the magnificent poem that was in his head. But he had a business meeting. He was a poet. Inspiration trumps business. That may not have been possible. I mean... Mrs. Paganini, please go on, my dear. In Thomas De Quincey's Confessions of an English Opium Eater, De Quincey speculates that the person from Porlock was actually Dr. P. Aaron Porter, Coleridge's supplier of opium. Ah, now what do you say to that, Otto? Otto gazed at us all with contempt. The accepted wisdom of our world is what? Connection. Speedy, reliable, all-consuming connection. I wish to encourage everyone in the world to switch off. And, and do what? Sit by while another million women are oppressed. So what? So what? Is that the best you can do? We all end up dead. Kasha leapt from her chair and rushed at Otto. Miss McLennan, please. Ben and Samuel jumped up and held her back. Now, before we all end up dead, we must walk. The rest of the morning shall be spent out of doors. Thy favourite hike. Porlock, we are to Colville. Fortunately, I had packed several warm sweaters. When I went back to my room to retrieve them, I heard something odd. It was coming from Kasha McLennan's room. Kasha? You okay? I'm fine. You don't look fine. Were you pounding your pillow? How did you know? I'm a pillow pounder myself. When I'm feeling lonely and frustrated. But you... You're one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Significant Women. It's Otto. He's so provocative. He's so beside the point. You can handle Otto. I mean, you negotiate with soldiers in the Congo, fundamentalists in Afghanistan. And when I get back to the UK, I explode. (sighs) Porlock Weir. It's unlikely anyone will shoot me. Exactly. I mean, you can scream at Vikram all you like. Vikram? Kasha, I overheard you both last night. I didn't mean to. I just happened to be there. You wanted him to withdraw from the contest, and he refused. Listen, Miss Blondinini. My name's Tina. There are women's lives at stake. I know that. I've always admired you, the work you do, 
It's my pulchritudinaciousness. You think I'm thick? Yes. No. Not anymore. We mustn't let the autos and the Vikrams of this world grind us down. Twenty-five million. We'd better get hiking. The six-mile walk from Porlock Weir to the tiny parish church of Culbone is one of the best walks in Somerset. It helps if you have the right shoes, which I didn't. And I'm sure it's more enjoyable when it isn't. And it's even better when you don't have two people trying to chat you up every step of the way. Do I detect an American accent, Mrs. Paganini? Yes. You should come to Berlin, Mrs. Paganini. Why? Because Otto lives there some of the time. I'm sure Mrs. Paganini would find New York even more amusing. I like it in London. Otto is frequently in London. So is Vikram. And that's to say, so am I. Excellent. I mean, you two should get together for dinner. When we finally reached the church, Max was there, handing around shortbread biscuits. Ben was distributing thermos flasks. Hot chocolate? Thanks. Wrong shoes. Ah, bad luck. Uh, Mr. Alexander, hot, hot chocolate. Two kinds, two kinds. Yeah. Are we all foregathered? Now, I, I suppose you're wondering what makes this place so special. It's the smallest complete parish church in England, mentioned in both the Doomsday Book and the Guinness Book of World Records. The walls date from the 12th century. The nave is of Saxon dimensions. The screen, late 14th century. Correct, Mrs. Paganini. Well done. Tourism. In the church spire, Monsieur Minsky. Oh, the spire. Yes, well, possibly as late as 1810. There is a local story that the top of Borlock Village's church spire was blown off in a storm and carried here to Culver. <coughs> You're right, Vikram. Let us go. Try, try. We all looked at Vikram. He tried to smile and moved away from us, up the church aisle. According to this pamphlet, Mr. Shelminski, there was a murder here in 1280. Oh, what's that? Thomas, the chaplain of Culbone, struck Albert of Ash on the head with a hatchet. Murders happen. That is so typical of you, Otto. Murders happen. <laughs> Isn't this place unique? Lovely. Most unusual. Enchanting. <laughs> Vikram, are you okay? <laughs> Ben and Max tried to prevent Vikram's head from hitting the stone paving, but it was no use. He writhed about, then lay still. Max, call for an ambulance. What was odd was the position of the body. It was arched in the yoga position of the fish, with only the back of his head and his heels touching the floor. Perhaps a heart attack? Looks like a stroke. Strange convulsions. Mrs. Shalminski, he seems to be dead. Nonsense! No! I know what to do! Cashin McLennan knelt beside the body and attempted mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. But it was no good. Vikram Alexander was well and truly dead. We were a subdued group as we made our way back through the wet landscape to Porlock Weir. When we reached the hotel... Max was already there to greet us. Sandwiches and coffee in the dining room. 
Mrs. Shelminski requests that you congregate in the lounge at three. She also requests that you refrain from emailing, texting or twittering until Mr. Alexander's family is informed. Kasha, distraught at the death of her former lover, ran upstairs to her room. Samuel and Otto headed for the sandwiches. This enabled me to have a word with Ben. Did you notice something odd about Vikram? You mean aside from his being dead? The way he died. His body was arched back like a fish. Well, he was having convulsions. Exactly. Convulsions. It was in my Agatha Christie last night. Strychnine poisoning. Strychnine? I'm not so loud. The man was an overweight plutocrat. Not used to six-mile hikes. I think Vikram was poisoned. And I think you should be careful. At three o'clock, we were back in the lounge. Kasha sat huddled in an armchair. Samuel brought her a glass of water, which she refused. Otto stood at the window, gazing out. Ben and I were on the sofa, with Mrs. Shelminski across from us. <coughs> Given what has happened, it would be a nice gesture to donate the prize to Mr. Alexander's Institute for harnessing the capitalist energies of global youth. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, everyone was alert and unhappy. Unfortunately, the Shelminski Prize is designed for a living candidate who will personally transform his or her vision into reality. Everyone looked relieved. I must admit that, although we're only halfway through the weekend, I am coming round to deciding upon the winner. She stared hard at Ben. But it's still early days. Oh. Oh. I can see how the money would be spent in Professor Hutsley's laboratory or in Miss McLennan's safe havens for women or even Samuel Gondo's project. Yeah, I can supply you with a complete breakdown of expenditure. The media campaign, the design of a worldwide school curriculum. It's enough oh. is enough for the moment, yes. Mr. Gondo. No, it is the practicality of Otto's disconnection proposal that intrigues me. Practicality? What is practicality? But we were spared another auto merry-go-round. Come. A handsome, world-weary man appeared in the doorway. Mrs. Shelminski. What is it? Detective Inspector Holroyd, Devon and Somerset Constabulary. Uh, I'm afraid I have bad news. Mr. Alexander is dead, we know. Vikram Alexander was murdered. Strychnine? Strychnine. Now, what makes you say that, madam? The nature of his convulsions before he died. Indeed. What do we do now, Detective Inspector? I would ask everyone to remain inside the hotel. I'll be taking statements in the office next door. Oh. One by one, the candidates went in to speak to the inspector. And one by one, they emerged, visibly upset. First, Mrs. Shelminski. What a tiresome man. I must rest. Next, Kasha. He thinks I did it. Moron. I'm going for a walk around the harbour. Let them try and stop me. Then Samuel. I told him the truth. That is all any of us can do. Then Max. Don't worry, everyone. He got nothing out of me. Then Otto. The man is an Englishman. That's true, Otto. He asked me what I did. I told him. Otto is a conceptual artist. He sneered. Well, really, Otto, you're an anarchist, remember? What do you care if people sneer? I don't. Finally, Ben emerged from the office. He looked upset, but before I could speak to him... Mrs. Paganini! As I sat down, Detective Inspector Holroyd was lighting his pipe. 
I was so nervous, I looked straight into his eyes, which made him drop the match and set fire to his nose. Oh, dear. Clumsy me. Accidents happen. Indeed they do, Mrs... Paganini. Paganini. You're down here with the professor. Professor Huxley. Tell me what you saw when you arrived at the church. Otto and I came in together, followed by Vikram. Max, the hotel dog's body, was there. He'd obviously driven to the church by another route with shortbread and flasks of hot chocolate. You were handed one of the flasks? Yes. By whom? Professor Huxley. I mean, they were there in a box. He was helping Max distribute them. Uh, When did you realize that Mr. Alexander was unwell? Almost immediately. He was coughing, then he had convulsions, then he went rigid. You said you knew at once it was strychnine poisoning. Yes. How did you know? The mysterious affair at Stiles. The what? Agatha Christie. I was reading it last night. Very convenient. So you had no idea what was in Mr. Alexander's thermos flask. How could I? I am told you were wide awake and in and out of the kitchen round about midnight. Well, that's true. So you had ample opportunity to tamper with a thermos flask. Not me, Inspector. Samuel Gondo. Samuel Gondo? I saw him pouring something into one of those flasks at midnight. He said he was dehydrated, but there were bottles of mineral water on the counter. I mean, why was he bothering with a flask? Ah, I see. I, I don't mean to get Samuel in trouble. Don't you? Even if it means clearing your boyfriend. He's not my boyfriend. What do you stand to gain if Huxley wins the Shelminsky Prize? Me? Nothing. I'm a secretary at the lab. I see. You think he did it? Someone had to put the strychnine in the thermos? It wasn't Ben. Ben handed the flask to Vikram Alexander. Well, how could he have known it was the poison one? All the flasks had silver containers and red caps. The one that Professor Huxley handed to Vikram was silver with a blue cap. Even so, how was Ben to know? When I emerged from my interview with the inspector, Ben was waiting for me. Tina, how did it go? Ben, why were you handing round the thermos flasks? Well, just being helpful. What's his name? Max brought the box in. Max? Yes. Did he tell you to hand one to Vikram? Well, I can't remember. Vikram was the last one in. There was only one flask left in the box. And that flask had a blue cap. All the others were red. The poisoner knew that. Tina... The inspector believes I'm the poisoner, doesn't he? Oh, I think he suspects everyone. He got me to admit how much I need the money for the lab. Everyone here needs the money. This could be the end of everything I've worked for. Although I hadn't told Ben, it was obvious that he was high up on the inspector's list. I needed to move fast. Five suspects. Samuel, Otto, Kasha, Evelyn, Max... Mr. Gondo, am I disturbing you? Not at all, pretty lady. Come in. I would like to take you to Paris. Paris? Mm, Next weekend? Perhaps. No, perhaps. Now that your boyfriend, the professor, is uh, very sadly going to prison. He is not my boyfriend, and he happens to be innocent. Ah, but I saw him handing Vikram the poisoned cup. eh? We all saw it. Seven eyewitnesses. Is that what you told the inspector? 
Have you been to the top of the Eiffel Tower? You can see for miles and miles. You like traveling, don't you, Samuel? What was it Vikram said? Something about you being in a nightclub in Berlin when your wife thinks you're in Nairobi and your colleagues are expecting you in Washington? He had no right to say that. He knows that my wife and I are no longer together. I'm glad the professor killed him. <gasps> Samuel, what exactly were you pouring into a thermos flask at midnight? Uh, uh, water. I was dehydrated. There were at least 25 plastic bottles of mineral water on the counter, and probably just as many in the fridge. Why bother with a flask? Uh, because enough is enough, pretty lady. Why use disposable plastic when you can reuse the same container? Hmm? Oh, hmm. that's extremely plausible. It happens to be the truth, pretty lady. Thank you, Samuel. Uh, uh, wait, let me chew you up. Huh? I promise to use less plastic from now on. I fled along the corridor, down the stairs onto the landing, into the arms of Otto. Lighter than a feather. Aren't you frightened to be in the arms of the evil Otto? At that moment, I knew it couldn't be Otto. Who knows who Otto might murder next? Pow, pow, pow! What better way of disconnecting, hmm? Put me down and I'll tell you. <sighs> look at me, Otto. Oh. Sorry, don't look at me. But listen to me. You won't murder anyone next, Otto. You just get a huge kick from pretending to be the devil. You're right. I think too much. Murderers need to be men of action. Devil may care. Who could predict that an intellectual like your Professor Huxley... Some other time, Otto. I need to get on. When I reached the lounge, no one was there but Max, vacuuming. Max, have you seen Mrs. Shalminsky? She's drinking champagne in her room. You know where all the bodies are buried, don't you? Do I? Come on, Max. What are you really doing here? If you must know... I'm a teacher. I teach music and art to tiny school kids. But with my meagre salary, I have to work weekends, holidays, strictly minimum wage. I'm not eligible for £25 million prizes. So you resent people like Vikram Alexander? I have a big world-changing idea for Mrs Shelminsky. Charity begins at home. Max, who prepared all those flasks of hot chocolate? I did. And who put the strychnine in the flask with the blue cap? Not me. Then who? Ask Kasia McLennan. Kasia? Where is she? Down by the harbour. The door to the office was open as I went past. Going somewhere, Mrs. Paganini? Breath of air, Inspector. If you run into Kasia McLennan, please bring her back with you. Of course, Inspector. I found Kasia. Perched on a rock, gazing far out to sea. Kasha? Oh, hi. Tina. Sorry to disturb, but I really need to speak to you. Everyone is convinced that Professor Huxley is responsible for Vikram's murder. I know that can't be true. Why not? Well, the professor needs the prize money. You all do. But he is not a homicidal maniac. Are you in love with him? Yes. The way you used to be in love with Vikram Alexander. Meaning? Maybe you still are. So that's what you're up to. The poisoning of an ex-lover. Put the wrap squarely on ugly old Kasia and split the prize money with your professor. I'm not accusing you. I need your help. Oh, sorry. Who might have wanted to poison Vikram? 
Well, there's Otto. I know, but Otto's too obvious. What about Max, the hotel guy? He's a teacher, seething with rage about his low pay. What would he have gained? Samuel? Vikram has been vile to Samuel for years. And this morning, I'm blackmailing him at the breakfast table. It's amazing. I mean, you all have so much to give the world, but you carry on like people in olive oil. Olive oil? Miss Paganini was in olive oil. Right. Well, then there's Evelyn Shelminsky. Oh, she seemed to like Vikram least of all. He was in business with her husband's sandal. What a pair. Her husband's partner? So Vikram and Evelyn Shelminsky were old acquaintances? Of course. I thought everybody knew. Kasia! Mrs. Tina! Samuel! Come quickly, ladies. Mrs. Shelminsky is about to announce the winner. <laughs> there they all were, back in the lounge. Ben, Otto, Samuel, Inspector Holroyd, Mrs. Shelminsky dressed in a new caftan. She seemed mildly drunk. Miss McLennan, Mrs. Paganini. We can begin. I have decided to announce the winner early. Therefore, it gives me great pleasure to award the first Shelminsky Prize for a world-changing project to Dr. Benjamin Huxley. Evelyn picked up an envelope, which presumably contained a check for 25 million pounds, and waved it at Ben. They shook hands. Max, the champagne! Max appeared with a tray of glasses, filled to the brim with champagne. I maneuvered Kasha into a corner of the lounge. Kasha, Vikram Alexander, Sander Shelminsky, business partners? That's what I said. Did Vikram and Evelyn Shelminsky have an affair? Of course. It went on for years. Then Vikram threw her over for a younger woman. You? No, no, it was way before I came on the scene. I turned to see Evelyn Shelminsky handing Ben a glass of champagne. He's smiling and raising it to his lips. Ben! No! Tina? Don't drink it. Inspector Holroyd, I suggest that you analyze the liquid in Ben's champagne glass. I think you'll find that it contains strychnine. What makes you think that, Mrs. Paganini? <laughs> I've never heard anything more ridiculous. Well, in that case, perhaps you'd care to drink from Ben's glass yourself, Mrs. Shelminsky. I'm not thirsty. You needed to kill Ben, didn't you, Mrs. Shelminsky? Kill Ben? Why would I do that? To cast even more suspicion onto the other candidates. They have a 25 million pound reason to wish to eliminate each other. Oh, that's very true. Whereas you have a more remote motive. Your ancient love affair with that old smoothie, Vikram Alexander. Yeah, I must say. Ancient love affair? What do you know of love, Mrs. Paganini? Only that Vikram Alexander threw you over for a younger woman. So when he applied for the Shelminsky Prize, you saw the opportunity to get your revenge. My revenge? Yes. How typical of him to come waltzing back into my life as a supplicant for my cash. I only intended to deprive him of the prize money, but when I saw he was up to his old tricks again... His old tricks? Making eyes at a younger woman. Cash McLennan? You... Mrs. Paganini. I couldn't help it. The feelings came rushing back. The utter humiliation. Look at you all, you world transformers, so pleased with yourselves. Whereas I, 
I happen to be a vain, shallow, dyspeptic, bored old woman who was never beautiful, never truly loved, with a great deal of money and a surprising amount of rage. So you just had to kill him? I just had to kill him. Someone like you can never understand. You mean someone with my degree of pulchritude and issues? Precisely. You are so wrong, Mrs. Shelminsky. Oh. Just because I happen to be gorgeous doesn't mean I can't understand the mysteries of the human heart. My late husband, Mr. Paganini, was a smoldering volcano of a man. You never knew when he would erupt, and always for the most trivial of reasons. But when he died, not that I killed him, well, not intentionally. I realized that the world is a big place. World-changing ideas, Mrs. Shelminsky. That's what we should be focusing on. Not our petty little emotional turmoil. Thank you, Mrs. Paganini. Mrs. Shelminsky, would you please come with me? Gladly. Inspector. And that's how I solved the Porlock Poisoner murder mystery. The 25 million pounds was real. Ben decided to share it with Samuel Gondo and Kasia McLennan. He refused to give any of it to Otto. Otto doesn't need your millions. Life is meaningless. Money is meaningless. Only Otto has meaning. So, it's Sunday, and I'm driving Ben back to London. We're relaxed in each other's company. I can feel it. Tina? Yes, Ben? Could you do me a favor? Anything. Could you drop me off at Heathrow? Heathrow? Now? Yes, I'm due to visit my fiancé next week, but after all that's happened, I feel the need to see her right now. Your fiancé? Sandra Ling Lin. He's a physicist at Princeton, working on a grand unified theory of the universe. Oh. Haven't I mentioned Sandra? No, never. I've known her since A-levels. I understand. Do you? You need to get to Heathrow. Yes. In fact, I'm due a couple of months' leave. Are you? Lucky you. The following week, I'm back in the lab, answering the phones, logging the data making my small contribution to the frontiers of biomedical engineering. Tina Paganini speaking. Hi, Tina, this is Alfredo. You don't know me. You were on the treadmill next to me at the gym the other day. You glanced my way and I fell off. I'm sorry, Alfredo. I'm terrifically busy. Biomedical engineering, Tina Paganini speaking. Hello, Tina. Uh, Nick here from the college bookshop. Uh, the book you ordered... Emmanuel Kant's critical... Critique... Critique of pure reason. Right. Well, it's arrived, so I thought maybe I could take you for a coffee to sort of make up for the coffee I spilled on you when you were placing your order, Tina. That's when I see him. Tina? Professor Huxley. Hello? Crossing the lab toward my workstation. Mrs. Paganini. Professor Huxley? Tina? You're supposed to be in Princeton. I know. The fact is, my fiancé, Sandra Ling Lin... Yes, She's a Facebook friend of Kasia McLennan's. Uh-huh. And Kasia posted some photos of us at Porlock Weir on her Facebook wall. And Sandra wanted me to identify the voluptuous blonde person who was standing next to me in every photo. Uh-huh. 
And I explained our relationship. Strictly professional, of course. Of course. Then I told her how you are a brilliant and insightful person. And how, in fact, you had saved my life. But instead of Sandra thinking that was a good thing, well... She got mad? Positively incandescent. I'm truly sorry about that, Professor Huxley. Mrs. Paganini, she got even madder when I told her I think I seem to be in love with you. You think you seem to be in love with me? I think it's highly probable. Are you okay? Oh, yes. Oh, I lost my balance. Never done that before. I know. It's marvelous. Is it? Absolutely. Professor Huxley, Ben, at this point, in conversations of this nature, you are supposed to kiss me. Mrs. Paganini, Tina, I can't think of anything I'd rather do. <laughs> 